0: Hey everybody, welcome to It Never Rains on this podcast. I'm Hithliday, I'm the managing editor for Addicted to Quack, it's a website. Joining me this week is one of the great ADQ writers, Tristan, how you doing?
1: I am doing pretty well, Hythe. I am all sweaty and disgusting, which is exactly how a man should be after an hour-long tap class.
0: Uh, all right. Tap is in the, the form of dance?
1: As in the form of dance, you got it.
0: Hmm. Special
1: shoes and everything.
0: Uh, gosh, it feels like they'd be uh, more appropriate to make a joke coming af- uh, off of the Texas Tech game, in which Oregon <laughs> sort of tapped out of Lubbock with a win. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, unfortunately,
1: ooh. I've never done any hula. I-, I-, I regret I've never tried to do any hula.
0: Yeah, and uh, this was uh, less of a Nera escape. Um, yeah. He, before uh Oregon played Hawaii you uh wrote up a bit of the the series history and, and uh conducted a Q&A with um uh with Jim Rodriguez of our sister site um uh and you've got some personal history uh with University of Hawaii isn't that right
1: that is absolutely right. I got my I did my undergrad at Oregon, but I was a graduate student getting my Ph.D. at Hawaii from uh, 2008 to 2015. And then I taught there for three and a half years as a as an instructional member. So I have some ex- I have a lot of experience with the campus, not directly with the football program, the kinds of classes I was teaching. Normally, frankly, we I'll just go ahead and say it. We didn't get a lot of football players in those classes, but mm.
0: um, I mean, I, you know, when I was doing, you know, the, the, the I, I did a lot of prep work on Hawaii, uh, partially by uh, intent and partially like kind of inadvertently or like I, I would have done it about any team, but it happened to be Hawaii because like you know, Oregon got an offensive line, Oregon's offensive line coach, Alik Terry, his first uh, pay-in gig um, was as the offensive line coach at Hawaii in 2021. And um, that was under Todd Graham um, in, in what turned out to be the the final of two years of his contract there. Todd, Todd Graham like, got a five year contract. It was basically, you know, after Nick Rolovich left for uh, uh, for Wazoo they hired Todd Graham, um, starting in 2020. It was supposed to, you know, the contract was like 2020 through 2024. They wound up firing him or asking for his resignation after the 2021 season. Cause he like, he ran that program into the ground. Like it was just like total disaster. Um, but for the 2021 season, he had hired elite Terry to be his offensive line coach. And so like, you know, because Oregon hired him, I wound up you know watching that season. It was like, it was kind of miserable to watch that film because it was like it was really clear like they did that those those players did not enjoy you know playing for him, um and like his you know Todd Graham had his son Bo Graham being the offensive coordinator and like it was really like insipid offense. I thought that Terry like coached the the offensive line pretty well, um but like that was about it, um and, and like. And so anyway, um like that 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 film wasn't real fun, but then uh uh you know, after Graham goes away, um you know, they they hire like program legend Timmy Chang um to uh, to to run the program. So then, you know, because I knew Oregon was going to play Hawaii, I went and watched their 2022 film. And then, uh, I, and then of course I, I watched their first three games, you know, because they they had a week zero game, so I got to watch, you know, their game against Vanderbilt and their game against Stanford. Oh, I guess I didn't watch their third game because it was a, a like a pay per view game against the FCS team, so I, you know, that's not true. So like, so I've watched all, like all these games against Hawaii, but it's like night and day difference, you know, because like Timmy Chang is just like running that program the right way, and I, I like my 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 curiosity for you is like, what's your familiarity with the team? Like what era was it like? Like, did you get to see like good Hawaii, bad Hawaii? Like what's your, what's your level familiar, familiar, or what's your era of the team?
1: My era of the team starts in right after it had peaked under June Jones. Uh-huh. Uh, June Jones comes in in 1999. And as we've talked about, because we played Portland State and, you know, we got to go into some of the history with Portland State and the the original form of the run and shoot with Mouse Davis, which uh, my understanding from a little additional reading I did after that conversation was, uh, you know, June Jones had been, Uh, In the NFL for a while using Mm -hmm. run and shoot principles and NFL defenses had found some things they could exploit there. And so before he goes to take the Hawaii job, apparently he spent some time with Bill Walsh and he makes some modifications. So it's not the pure early 90s run and shoot where you've got these uh, University of Houston quarterbacks shattering the same passing records. They're still shattering passing records, but it's been modified from its early 90s. Yeah, there's some like the
0: West Coast offense concepts that are built in. Like there's some short passing, you know, stuff. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right.
1: Mm-hmm. So I came in right after they had peaked with that, with, um, with Colt Brennan, uh, right. now sadly deceased. I didn't get a chance to mention that in the article, but don't look up that story unless you're ready for a real heartbreaker. It's yeah. actually very sad. What happened to him with a non-football injury? Uh, but he also shattered records and they had an undefeated season. They beat Boise state. You know, they slew the, the dragon that is actually a Bronco in Honolulu and they made it to the Sugar Bowl as a non-BCS participant. And they went to Atlanta and they played Georgia and got run out of the building, which, mm-hmm. as any Oregon fan will tell you, there is absolutely no shame in that. <laughs> uh, so I saw some some middling to disappointing Hawaii football. And I think the, the closer to middling and the exciting was probably under Rolovich who, as you mentioned, came in and he used the term run and shoot, I think because he knew they had been down before then and he really wanted to drum up some excitement and he knew people still love hearing about that. But as you've said, he wasn't really running the run and shoot. He was running the pistol offense with air raid concepts, but not out of the pistol formation. So that's, that might be a whole podcast. In yeah, itself <laughs> no Disambiguating more. all of that. Yeah. And then I remember when he got hired by Washington State, I had two reactions. My first was, man, that is a really great hire for Washington State. I'm scared because this is a guy who had done really well maximizing what is a program that doesn't have the greatest resources, which certainly applies to Washington State, though not as much as to Hawaii. And I was also hurting for Hawaii because I thought, you know, I mean, just look at a map, you realize this is a program with challenges. They get 13 games a year because everyone who plays off the mainland gets a 13th game to try and compensate for the cost. Right. People people sort of
0: forget about that. The Hawaii rule applies to Hawaii. You know, like (laughs) if you basically the Hawaii rule states if you play a game in hawaii then you get to play 13 games well you know who plays a game in hawaii is hawaii so yeah they could you know if they want they can play 13 games
1: and they always do they they still have their their fcs game which was a lot closer than they would have liked against uh albany before they came to eugene Mm. uh And so you have that disadvantage. That creates all kinds of problems. I mean, they have to arrange the schedule so it's three home games, three away games, if they can get away with it. They cooperate with the Mountain West. So I'm pretty sure the football team doesn't actually come back to the islands on their road trip. They actually stay on the mainland for some time to try and limit travel. So you have that disadvantage. Is
0: Is it the case that the school doesn't start until a little later so that that's not like that terrible?
1: Unfortunately, they are on the semester system. Oh, Oregon boy. and Washington are on the quarter system. Hawaii is on the semester system. So they get no relief there. They're in class by week zero. So it's it it's a grind. And you are also in the situation where not only are you on a Mountain West contract. So, OK, you're FBS, but you're not rolling in dough. The money you have doesn't go as far anything you want to spend money on is now more expensive you want to take a recruiting trip that is more expensive you want to redo the locker room that is more expensive norm chow was there briefly and didn't have much success and the first thing he did was he organized a work party with the team and some power tools to try and fix up the locker room because it was in such bad shape Mm. that's actually a university-wide issue infrastructure but i'll I'll spare our listeners that.
0: Yeah, and just like Life on the Islands. Yeah, and Life
1: on the Islands. The other thing that they're currently up against, and Jeremy explains this in more detail than I'll go into here, but... It was a really interesting
0: been... back and forth. Like listener, you, you should read that Q and A. It was really interesting, oh, and also you should click through and read the 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 answers that that Tristan gave to the the, the questions that Jeremy asked. Uh, you know, on Mountain West connection, because you know it was a good back and forth between the two of you.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I was re- I was really happy we were able to do the Q and A, and there are some things I might have put into a longer article, but it was probably best that I not try to howly explain the situation in Hawaii and <laughs> let someone who's a little more connected there actually actually take that up. But they're in a strange situation with the stadium because the stadium was, they were playing in was condemned and right. with good reason. I had been in it and I was not shocked when I yeah, heard it. the inspection I've seen, had said, uh, no.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I haven't been there myself, but I've seen pictures of it and it was like, this is a death trap, man. Like, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. That's and that's
0: Aloha stadium. That's and that,
1: Aloha stadium where they used to have the pro bowl.
0: Right. And I think that that got condemned in, in I think like 2014, or something like that and, and they've been in the the clarence tc ching center since i think 2015 it's, um,
1: it's a little more recently than that it was i 2018 think 18 maybe they had reported issues with it after the the covid season after 2020 and they said you can't host events in it anymore and so now what happened is the, the outdoor practice field in the athletic complex, where which is right next to the basketball stadium, the volleyball stadium, the baseball stadium, all that good stuff, which is on campus, uh, they had to essentially just try to plunk down grandstands in there because it was either that or play at Punahou or St. Louis High School, yeah. which isn't far away and frankly might have been a better initial year
0: solution yeah but uh, the aloha stadium is is
1: still standing they haven't even knocked it down yet
0: (laughs) yeah that's the issue like the ching complex is like it's it's a fine complex like i've seen you know photos of that too and and obviously i watched a bunch of film you know uh, of games played there like it it's it's a fine complex for for you know all their a- outdoor sports but it's for all their outdoor sports it's like where they play beach volleyball it's where they you know run track it's you know it's everything um and, and it's like they're expanding they're expanding the seating there for 2024 when oregon heads out for their week zero game you know because it's a home and home you know and oregon's heading out um for 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 2024 they're expanding the seating to 16 000 not not i i didn't you know l- let me say that again in case you misheard me not 60,016 oh, yeah. you know like mm-hmm. you you can like it's basically not really a home field advantage other than the jet lag of you know the 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 visiting players getting on the plane flying you know halfway across the pacific to be there you know like there, it's just like it doesn't generate and and like of course because you know it doesn't it doesn't hold in the noise at all. Like it's basically no, no no real home field advantage. You know, they gotta, the, the only real space that's appropriate is the, is where Aloha stadium is, but they got to knock it down in order to rebuild it. And like, man, now you're talking about some Island politics, uh, which like, Oh man. We only got that, an hour that, for the pod t- podcast, you know? Yeah,
1: this is probably
0: not the arena,
1: and it would be a full-hour podcast just on the stadium, let alone the rail project that preceded it. But, yes, read the exchange I had with Jeremy. He goes into a little bit more more detail about this. And, I mean, you talk about, I mean, 16,000, that's barely above the, the FBS minimum. They got a waiver for a couple of years to yeah. try and get this taken care of. That's still more seats than they have at the Stan Sheriff Center, which is the basketball and indoor volleyball stadium. And that's already a cluster fudge every time there is a home game, because the parking structure has one. I am raising a single finger lane that goes into the parking structure for those games. One. There is one way into the parking structure. Yeah. So traffic gets backed up all around the neighborhood and back down to where I had my, my first apartment there. And you know, it's, it's Hawaii road planning, which is essentially nobody planned this. (laughs) And we're just doing what we can with it. So they're up against all of that. In addition to everything else, in addition to the fact that Todd Graham ran off every capable player and they tried to bring back, they kind of half-heartedly had a dalliance with bringing back June Jones for a year or two just to you know try to right the ship. But the terms of the contract they wanted to give him, they knew there was no way he was going to sign. So Timmy Chang, the hometown hero who has still holds so many records under that uh, June Jones, Bill Walsh offense from the late 90s, early aughts. Is in charge now. And at first, it doesn't seem like an uninspiring hire, but it was, I still think it was exactly the hire they needed to make. Cause there I are mean, some schools where the number one attribute you need in your coach is they know exactly what they're walking into. And Timmy Chang knew.
0: Sure. I mean, like, Look, man, that, like I said, we only got an hour for the podcast, you know, in terms of like, you know, island politics, like there's a lot going on and and and, and you know, simply understanding it and, you know, and understanding what he get, gets into is worth a lot. I mean, like hell retaining, you know, the defensive coordinator uh, a DC Euro, like super important. Like, I, I really feel like, like that dude surviving the Graham purge, you know, super like this. I, I, you know, cause like, you know, Chang obviously is known for the offense. The offense wasn't the strongest side of the ball. You know, the, the, the defense was really strong and I really attribute that to Euro. Like he was so disciplined. Um, like, like, yeah, I know there's, you know, there, there's some talent problems cause you're talking about like low three stars across the board, but like, honestly, that's a more, disciplined defense than like eight out of the 12 Pac-12 teams you know that I wind up studying like uh you know I didn't say better because you know talent matters but like uh, you know just like in terms of like you know quality coaching and look uh, you know a lot of that has to do with with continuity and just like knowing those players and like one of the thing about you know Uh, about you know the islands and 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 that like todd graham didn't seem to understand is that like the the talent reservoir on the islands is just incredible like per capita absolutely and, and and like and dude like there's a reason why oregon tries to maintain as much you know connection Oregon the football program tries to maintain as much connection with you know Hawaii the football program and also Hawaii the state and also you know the larger you know Polynesian community because um, uh, uh, like oh my God you know the the the, the, the you know the, the 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 talent per capita as you say like is just through the roof and um, and and yeah and the fact that like Todd Graham couldn't figure out like how to use it or or what was going on or, or what he had on his hands is just like what a dummy um like among all the other reasons i mean that that's like reason five on the list of dummy um like reason number one is just don't mistreat your players like what's the matter with you um but uh uh yeah like you know i really appreciate you know the the you know what um, Coach Chang, and which Coach Yoro is able to do with you know, just like you know, I had assembled the you know the the player database because you know that's t- how I do when I'm writing my articles, and it's just like this is, I mean, yet there's transfers um obviously but like it's largely constructed from players you know on the islands or, or you know f- from you know a- asian pacific islanders um and to the extent that they're like transfers from dudes who played on the mainland they're dudes from the islands who like played on the mainland and then transferred back to Hawaii, you know, and it's like, huh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure the coaching staff, you know, knew what they were doing, you know, when they did that, like, I think this is like a smart coaching staff who gets it culturally, um, about like what they have access to that's somewhat unique, um, in the place that they're at and like the, the connection to Oregon or like the, the cool thing, you know, observing this as an, as an Oregon fan is that like, yeah, man, Oregon doesn't, like turn its nose up at that sort of thing you know we're gonna like embraces that sort of thing you know like you, you you know or, or like I don't know like maybe it's small stuff. I hope it doesn't feel like tokenistic um, or or condescending. I I feel like it's genuine. But like you know seeing the Ohana uniforms, you know, or or seeing you know Dan Lanning in the lay, um, you know before before the game, it was just like dude, that's real. You know like Oregon 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 takes this sort of stuff like seriously and tries to maintain those connections. And I think like rather than making this a buyout game, making it a home and home you know and, and despite the, the 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 big 10 move that oregon as far as i can tell is fighting tooth and claw to make sure that you know they get the home and home and the reason that we spent 20 minutes talking about like island politics and knocking down aloha stadium and, and all these other things because like oregon's going back in 2024 like this is an important series to oregon because like the islands are important to oregon
1: Absolutely. I mean, Marcus Mariota, beloved by all, of course, was was originally from Hawaii, uh, as as was has have been a number of some of the best players in in Oregon history. And if they haven't been uh, from the islands, they have had Polynesian roots. Uh, DeForest Buckner was another Hawaii guy. Haloti Nata, of course, he was actually I believe his family had moved to Utah. But again, that's that's the Polynesian roots. And there are a lot of expats from all over the Pacific in Hawaii. And there are a lot of expats from Hawaii in the Willamette Valley. One of the nicest things at the pregame was there was actually a local uh, uh, hula group who, who did a performance in the Mischofsky center. I was able to see, and it was, it was obvious that this wasn't just, you know, a bunch of uh, Howley hobbyists have the occasional Howley hobbyist, but a lot of them, you know, at first glance seemed like, Oh, these are, these are folks with roots in Hawaii or greater Polynesia and they just have happened to move to the mainland, but they want to keep this, keep this going. So I'm, I'm really excited for Oregon to travel again and they're going to be in a fairly upmarket high school stadium, but it will be one of the biggest visiting teams to come to the, to the TC Ching complex. And as Jeremy said, they shut down the entire, the entire school they went entirely online on a friday for stanford because of logistical concerns so Mm. we'll see what they do for oregon
0: uh yeah well oregon fans travel man uh i and like you know that the game's gonna be played i think august 25th if my memory serves in 2024 like yeah that's a fine time to be you know on the islands um Uh, I, yeah, certainly looking forward to it and looking forward to like striking, uh, uh those connections uh, and I, and. and uh, you know, because I'm going to be doing film study in preparation for that game. Like I'm following Hawaii, the football team, uh, for the rest of the 2023 season, like I'm gathering up all their film and like, they, I mean, they made a fan out of me, you know, like this will be like three straight years of doing film study on that team between the elite Terry project in 2021, you know, and then prepping for this game. So the 2022 film. And then, like I just said, you know, the 2023, uh, you know, film, like I watched a lot of this team and then, you know, like, like i also said that the 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 night and day difference you know between you know graham's uh culture and chang's culture you know for for the team is just like it's just like oh man it's just heartwarming you know just like to see like a, a more like humane and awesome dude running the program after seeing like a just a straight up villain you know running the program like i was just like Uh, so great. Uh, like I'm totally rooting for the bows this year, like to win the mountain West. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, (laughs) like they've totally made a fan out of me. So, so yeah, uh, I dig it. That's why we've been talking about it for like 25 minutes. All right. Uh, let's take a break. Uh, and when we come back, we will talk about the actual football game between Oregon and Hawaii that was played on Saturday. So Uh, uh, Oregon, uh, defeated Hawaii on Saturday. Uh, you were in the stands. Uh, I wrote a film review article. Uh, You go first. What did you see?
1: Well, from my vantage point in the stands, I got a beautiful view of Oregon's first drive because, uh, when Tez Johnson was streaking open and Bo Nix placed that perfectly placed deep ball, he was basically running right towards our section. So that, that was really exciting. That was probably... The biggest excitement we had uh, the entire day. It was obvious, even to some of the folks around me who may or may not be ATQ readers. They didn't necessarily strike me as the folks who who read your uh, your video reviews, though everybody should. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but you even they, w- you didn't spend the whole game proselytizing.
1: Uh, not the entire game, no. Just just right, toward the I end see. when people were starting to get distracted. Uh, but it, it was pretty obvious uh, from the first that if you would match these these football teams up in a wrestling matchup, Hawaii's line of scrimmage players would not have been allowed in the ring with Oregon's mm-hmm. line of scrimmage players, and that 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 difference was very noticeable, uh, especially on the offensive line. I had the chance to actually chart. Uh, the game that Hawaii played against Stanford, because as the as the new intern for the film study, I'm mm. starting with Stanford, because it's not always the most fun film to watch, mm-hmm. but <laughs> that's okay. Uh, hey,
0: uh, it could be worse. You could be getting coffee, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, I, I, he, I ch- appreciate...
0: Charting Stanford is the film study version of fetching coffee <laughs> and, and making copies. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah. Uh... But uh, I knew Hawaii's offensive line was going to be in trouble this game. This was going to be a real challenge for them, and it certainly was. I mean, you had, you had noted several times that they've got a quarterback, Shager, who can throw a pretty deep ball if he's able to set his feet. And they've got a good possession receiver whose name is escaping me right now, number Puffelli, seven. Or
0: uh, I, the possession uh, McBride, McBride. McBride.
1: And then Poffele Ashlock can get open open deep on you. And they, they just never were able to get it because all they could do were 50 50 balls. And this was a day where they went 0 for on 50 50 balls with that said as you have mentioned the defense really impressed me there were times they were getting juked there were times they were getting overpowered but they were in the right spot they were making some tackles they were forcing field goals and it just felt like they had a plan and they were playing to it
0: uh you know that's the thing that's um i mean it blew my mind like i i you know because i was all over different like podcasts uh you know, and, and, and forums and so forth, uh, uh, this week. Cause you know, just being like, it was just like, it was very clear to me that like, you know, Hawaii didn't like offensively, you know, they didn't really have a run game. They, um, although interestingly in this game, like they, they were playing like different running backs and, and, and Oregon just like knew that all they, they could do was pass and so you know and just sort of like the structure the defense kind of doesn't take the run very seriously i the, hawaii actually had a little bit more running success in this game than i was expecting although in hindsight i sort of understand why and so i don't i don't worry about it at all uh but you know that the total side note um the the uh uh the, the just like They've got nothing else going on. They, they, they can't run the ball. They can't do efficiency passing. They can't protect the quarterback, but he's a pretty cool customer they, the, the, their team culture as we spent like 20 minutes talking about is good. They like, they don't give up, they don't quit. Like they go hard, even if they're losing. Um, they, uh, and you know, the quarterback's good, a good arm and they've got some receivers who can go deep. And so I'm just like, they're just going to throw it deep. And, 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 and like in their first three games, they had at least one, uh, uh, uh like 40 plus yard pass, you know to ashlock in every game and 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 like and you know oftentimes multiple you know uh, of those passes then i i went back and i looked at my notes and, and uh and in 2022 like it, it was like every single game in 2022 all 13 games that they played uh, they they had at least one 20 plus, you know, air yard throw, you know, by, by which I mean, not, not just like a little screen pass in which somebody like breaks a tackle, you know, and gets 20 yards. I mean, like through the air, you know, 20 yards and like they played some good defenses last year. They played Fresno state, you know, against Evan Williams, you know, of all people, um, they played Michigan, like, That Michigan, the one to go to the playoffs, Michigan, Mm -hmm. Um, like every single team that they played, all 13 of them, they had, you know, and, and none of, and, and and those passes that I'm talking about, none of them happened in garbage time either. They all happened during the meaningful time that I was watching. Um, Like, so, so, and that was Shager and that was Coach Chang, you know, it was like, it was a different receiver core. They, they sort of had to re- hit the refresh button on the receiver core for 2023. But like the basic principles were all there. Um, and like... Yeah, this team wants to throw it deep and so and have been successful at throwing it deep like and so I was just like, that's what they're going to do. Like this game is going to you know, they're just going to do it or or at least they're going to attempt it, you know, enough times that like it's going to get through like you do something often enough something's going to get through. And and I, you know, and and I, I just know how Oregon fans are, you know, they're expecting the game to go like, you know, you know, uh, a hundred percent for Oregon, zero percent for the opponent. So if it goes like 95 to 5%, they're going to freak out and obsess, you know, about the 5% and be like filling up my inbox with, uh, Oh oh my God, what's going on? So I was just, I was trying, I was trying to get out ahead of it. Right. It was trying to be like, don't freak out, dude. Like, you know, you know, this is coming. Don't freak out. So then it never happened at all. Like their longest play of the game was 15 yards um I was looking
1: for it the whole time assuming you know one of the on one of these plays Ashlock is going to get behind the corner and Shaker's going to get the ball to him before the safety can come over and it's going to be like a 30-yard play but it just never materialized
0: um uh yeah and uh and it's like well let me ask you this because you were in the stands and you you watched you know, all, I mean, I watched the entire game, but like I didn't, I only did film study on the first 10 drives, uh, you know, cause I checked out and started watching Colorado film, you know, it's just better use of my time. Uh, and you know, I'm limited to the broadcast film, whereas you were in the stadium and, and watching it, you know, that you, you sort of had the, the, the bird's eye view more than I do, you know, with, with, with the broadcast tape, like, uh, it, to me, it looked like, Oregon was bringing a lot of pressure and that, uh, the quarterback just very rarely had the opportunity to get to the deep read, you know, cause the, you know, the, the pocket was collapsing, but that, uh, it just looked like Oregon had the deep play like covered, you know, pretty well. Did you ever see Tristan that like, Oh my God, I'm glad that the quarterback didn't get to that throw because Oregon didn't have it covered.
1: On the deep ball, no. There were a handful of times I remembered seeing an intermediate route, and I thought, boy, if they're not getting pressure on him, that that might go for a first down. In fact, the first interception, uh, when the ball was initially thrown, I thought, oh, shoot, this is going to be a first down. But because of the pressure, Shager overthrew the intended receiver, and it was an interception, and that kind of killed any momentum Hawaii might have been able to generate early. My impression was very similar to yours, which is this Oregon team, much more than last year's, knows or is confident that it can generate pressure. And on this team, they were confident we can do a simulated pressure if we want to send five, or we can just send four, and we're probably going to affect the quarterback here. So they stayed back. They made sure that nobody got behind them, and I didn't see anyone streaking open deep. What I saw was a lot of Shager scrambling for his life and someone that hadn't been mentioned in your preview on uh, an, another receiver for Hawaii. I think it was number 23 Nishigaya, which, yeah. by the way, is the perfect name for a Hawaii football player. Uh, he got really... he got a lot of balls thrown his way because I think he's the in case of imminent sack break glass. Yeah,
0: receiver. he's he's sort of a shorter inside guy. He's like a blocker and a, like a slot man kind of guy, but they don't really he's not like a Gary Bryant, Tez Johnson kind of slot burner. He's more like, uh, he's more like your fire plug, you know, or spark plug kind of, you know, shorter inside guy who, who likes hitting people. Um, or at least that's what his film showed me, you know, so far. Um, so yeah, that, I mean that, yeah, that, that adds up. Um, uh, but like they have a bunch of like tall, rec- you know, it's not just Ashlock. It's also like uh, number 88, Perry and number 84. I forget his name. Um, but yeah, I was like, you know, that. I, and, and I mean, the reason that I, that, that I'm curious about it or that I I'm fairly, you know, certain anyway, is that like, man, if none of Hawaii's receivers are getting open deep and like, I, look, I know that that like Oregon's going to face more talented receiving cores than that but like but like that's the only tool they have and Oregon's going to play some teams where coming up here where like that that also sort of describes that team where like you need to shut down their intermediate to deep passing game and if you do that team is done because they don't have a run game to speak of and their defense stinks um like i mean i can name names but i think we all know the teams that we're talking about here Mm -hmm. and um and so it's like well man you know that if we're like this might be This might have been a pretty good, you know, dress rehearsal for um, some some games and conference play that Oregon fans are really looking forward to. You know, if if their coverage is really good enough in order to do that.
1: Yeah, overall, I was very, very pleased with the pass defense. One of the things that I was looking for was a reduction in penalties, which we did see from from the Texas Tech game, not not as clean as Portland State, but that was probably an anomaly. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the plays that Texas Tech hit in the passing game, with the exception of their tight end, who just reeled in some, some nice passes. But a lot of those plays, it was like, this is just sloppy. Guys are not playing with really sound fundamentals and we saw sound fundamentals here i'm sure that was an emphasis in practice after the texas tech game and if you can retain those sound fundamentals this defense has an opportunity to be much improved from last year
0: yeah well and it's it's the other thing too is okay so you take away the deep stuff but then you also want to get off of the field which means you know orienting your your I mean this is what the mint defense like every team wants to not get burned deep right there's nothing special or unique about it I mean like it's special if you can do it I'm I'm not saying it's easy I'm just saying it's not it's not unique to this but this or any defensive structure to try to stop deep passing every defense tries to stop deep passing but what The mint defensive structure also attempts to do is look, man, we want to get off the field on third downs. And maybe back in the day, the way that teams tried to convert their third downs was they'd run, run, run. And so we would need to be built to stop run, run, run. Um, But that's not how teams are converting third downs nowadays. Um, The way that teams are converting third downs nowadays is like quick short passing. And so in addition to being able to stop, you know, deep passing, which every defense needs to be able to do, we need to be configured to stop quick, short passing. Um, and which is like easier said than done. Um, but like, it's how the mint defense is like structured to do. Um, and like, we only have so much time on the podcast and I've done like hours and hours of discussion about how the mint defense goes about doing that. Um, but like it, goes about doing that. Um, and, uh, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the thing that was, you know, has been encouraging about, you know, Oregon's defensive performance over the last several games is, you know, the, only, to the extent that Oregon's had defensive breakdowns at all, other than like the penalty stuff, which like is kind of its own thing. Um, like, the, the only defensive breakdowns that we've seen have been those surprise quarterback runs from texas tech which like or which like you know weren't part of their playbook in 2022 and took oregon by and which they didn't break out against wyoming to the extent that they were willing to take the loss over it which still is like it's a week later and it's still blowing my mind that they were willing to take a loss over it anyway yeah. um and i guess two losses now uh Mm -hmm. uh, well texas
1: almost took a loss they didn't pull away until the fourth quarter so i guess i guess the moral of the story is maybe you actually have to try when you play wyoming in
0: 2023 hey mountain west teams they ain't no joke uh the the uh but like the yeah oregon in year two of the mint defensive structure, you know, three games in, including one pretty decent power five team, um, and one team that just loves to throw the ball in in Hawaii. Um, like, you know, and when I say loves to throw the ball, I mean, like throws the ball on a three to one basis. Like they love to throw the ball. Um, like, you know, is getting off of the field by shutting down quick, short passing, um, which is, hey, that's cool. Like they're actually doing it. You know, they're they're doing the thing that, that they set out to do. Um, and, and which like modern football sort of requires you to do because that's how modern football offenses sustain drives. Now, you know, they're not, they're not sustaining drives on third and five by getting a third and five run. They're sustaining drives by hitting, you know, a six yard pass. Um, and like, and those are really hard to stop with modern quarterbacks, but we're going to stopping them. Um, so like, Wow. Cool.
1: Very cool. It's one of the things that I was hoping to see coming into this year was this sort of defensive improvement and getting off the field because it felt like at times last year, the five best defenders Oregon had were the five starters on its offensive line. And where that was your defense. Don't let the other team get the ball back. And the offensive line – played a pretty good game. I mean, it's not up to the normal Oregon standards, but these are a lot of new starters as you as you've mentioned a number of times, and it it's just going to take reps for this line to reach its its maximum potential, and it might not be until the end of this season or maybe even next season before we see the some of these guys maximize themselves.
0: You mean the offensive line?
1: The, the offensive line, yeah. So oh, in the meantime, our... you got to be able to get off the, off the field.
0: I mean, that's well, yeah, or let me finish up on the defense and we'll switch over to the offense. Mm-hmm. The, the, yeah, I mean, I think this is sort of a, like, it's funny. We're, we're now, I don't know, man, like close on to 25 years into this, like, uh, you know, revolution in, 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 offenses, which really starts with quarterbacks, like just quarterback play has massively increased. Like you can, you can, if you go back and look at graphs of stats, it, it all, it, it's about quarterbacks. Like there, it, it looks like a hockey stick, you know, and it starts in, you know, somewhere somewhere it sort of depends where you want to define the starting point, but it's somewhere between 1998 and 2002. Um, like somewhere between Achilles Smith and Joey Harrington. Um where it just like quarterback play just takes off and like across the board, you're just consistently getting more accurate, um, quarterbacks, uh, you know, where like what baseline expectation for quarterback play is jumps from like 55% completion percentage to like 65% completion percentage, which is just like bonkers that you should like that, that you would have such a step change in baseline expectation. But anyway, that's what it is. um, and uh uh and and it's funny to like go back like we we ran a series over the summer about like historic oregon quarterbacks and you go back and you look at like the great oregon quarterbacks of the day and they have like numbers that are like would get you benched in a heartbeat you know today it's just (laughs) like those numbers are pathetic you know (laughs) anyway um anyway the uh the 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 thing it's despite the fact that we are this late into the you know the offensive revolution uh, you know the passing offensive revolution in college football um i feel like most fans when you say you know such and such a team needs to improve their pass defense or you know they're they're having difficulty getting off the field on third down because the opponent is able to hit their passes like what jumps into most fans' minds about the the who is responsible for pass defense in that sense are, you know, who the NFL pays a bunch of money for their pass defense, which is cornerbacks and defensive ends, right? Because what they're thinking of is the deep ball, right? Because like the, that, cause look, look, I understand like, that's the money maker you know, in the NFL and like, that's, you know, explosive plays or like, you, you know, I'm not trying to say anything about, you know, like I, I'm not disagreeing at all with the explosive play philosophy. Like I'm an analytically driven, you know, I've, I've been to the conferences, man, like, yes, you want explosive plays. Like, and yes, taking away explosive plays is the best way to win defensively. Um so like that is definitely true but like your pass defense is like so much more than shutting down the deep play and therefore your cornerbacks and defensive ends um or you know your your edge rush in, in getting to the quarterback like it's it is now your entire defense. It is how your linebackers play. It is how your interior line plays. It is how your safeties play. It is how every player on the defense plays because, you know, because the short and intermediate passes, you know, because tight ends are weapons, because slot receivers are weapons, because running backs are weapons, you know, because, you know, because every offensive player because quarterback scrambles are weapons. You know, everybody except for the offensive linemen are weapons in the in the passing game to convert, you know, third downs and keep drives alive in the passing game. Um, And so therefore every member of the defense needs to be pass defenders, which is what the mint defensive philosophy is about. And so the, you know, the idea when, when you say you need to improve your pass defense, and if the first thing that occurs to you, or the only thing that occurs to you is cornerbacks and defensive edges, like that, your man, it's like, get out of the eighties, dude. Like you you need to talk about everybody, you know? And, and that's what, and so when I'm like gushing here about like, Hey, you know, I really like seeing Jamal Hill breaking up, you know, you know, little hitch routes, you know, Hey, I really like seeing, you know, uh, Taki Taimani, you know, uh, beating the guard and getting to the cornerback. or, you know, I really like seeing Brian Addison stringing out, you know, that, that running back on the wheel route, you know, it, you know, or I really like seeing the, the tight end getting shut down, you know, by the nickel, you know, et cetera. Like, that's because that's how passing offenses work to keep drives alive for offenses now. It's not just. You know, back to the defense, you know, play act, you know, hard play action, you know, deep shots to two, you know, deep receivers in the pattern, even though Oregon had a play like that on the offense. And I put it in my article. Um, you know, so, so like, yeah, you, you got to make your entire defense into pass defenders because the entire offense are now pass weapons. And, 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 and it's, you know, it's a multi dimensional passing offense. It has to be a multi dimensional passing defense. And you have to make, and you have to improve, you know, Across the board in defending the past in defending the past, and that is what Oregon so far has been doing. Um, and so, like that's why I've really been gushing about it. Now, let's talk about the offense. Like hey look man their run technique is getting better like it really is like i you know i, I don't know about this like you got to wait till the end of the year stuff i really feel like their trajectory is such that they're like they're they're on track for like by the bye week i really expect them to be in in final 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 form um like just comparing the portland state tape the to, to the hawaii tape where like hawaii is a better defense than portland state right significantly but, that's why they had to get some field goals yep. right but like but despite that that fact and why we spent 20 minutes at the top of the podcast gushing about you know defensive coordinator euro and the great job that 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 uh that that coach chang has done you know turning that team around um it, it like yeah it's you know it's a good defense and yet you know Uh, you know, I watched all that Portland state tape and like, yeah, you know, you know, it's, it seemed weird. I know to complain about like 52 yard touchdown runs, but like a lot of the run blocking was just a mess against Portland state. Um, and then when I watched the Hawaii tape, like it's not a mess like, yeah, I'm, I'm still seeing a little bit here, a little bit there. Like there's a technique, you know, and I put it in my articles. It's like, look, Oh, you you know, Johnny, you're, you're, you're risking a holding flag right there. Or like, Oh, you know, that, that linebacker crashing in it caused you, you know, it caused Josh Connerly to like lose his footing there. You know, you got to clean that up. Or like, I, you know, J- Jackson powers, Johnson, why are you letting go of that dude? Like, you know, there, it's a, but, but it's like, Oh my God, it's so much better than the Portland state film where it's like, look, man, I put some clips in that article where, just like what are you doing like that is disgusting how bad that you know that is And, and you were you were getting a touchdown because bucky irving pulled off some magic and you were playing an fcs team um and like that's not true like the trajectory between week one and week three is like a rocket ship like it's straight up and uh and, and 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 against a better defense, so like yeah, I'm I'm really hurtened by the the offensive line performance. And on top of that, the pass blocking from the get go has been stellar. Like there hasn't, I mean, I can count There's been on no drop off. Yeah,
1: P- pretty much no drop off from last year when bonix was barely getting. Yeah. getting sacked or pressured i mean it's been Their three held up
0: it's been three games and i can count on one hand the number of times that that bo Nix is like had to drop a sweat on his brow like in in, in in like it's it's just not happening like the pass protection has been excellent so like yeah all those offensive lines coming along just fine like i i'm i you know by the time they play like a you know opponent with like a serious you, you know pass rush you know i i, I or, or you know with a, a serious ability to stop the run which like Kent ain't you know they ain't gonna face until uh you know pretty late um mm-hmm. in the season um like I, i'm i'm pretty sure uh you know i i have a high degree of confidence we'll have to check in at the time you know it's mm-hmm. you, know, you just finished week three uh, you know don't 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 put any money on what i'm saying right now but like i have a high degree of confidence that that uh that the, the, that that you'll be pretty happy with offensive line performance at the, but by the time it's gonna you know they're really gonna be tested
1: that's refreshing to hear, because like I said, that whenever you have a lot of new starters on the offensive line, stars always matter, and, but sure. starts matter, and for some positions more than others. So if they can round into form sooner rather than later, I think this team is going to be really competitive as we enter Pac-12 play.
0: All right, let's take a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, we'll do a little preview of the article that you're going to write about uh, the series history with Colorado. So the assignment that you drew is... uh uh for the uh for Saturday since it's a, it's going to be a uh uh I think a 12:30 kickoff uh against Colorado on ABC mm-hmm. um so we're going to put up an article uh in the morning that goes over the history the Oregon versus Colorado series um it it may be the last time that Oregon and Colorado uh play for a while since they're going to different conferences now um although who knows they might see each other in the title game yep. uh, uh, or the playoffs <laughs> um uh, uh yeah so you're gonna go over the history of the oregon colorado series i have to admit i am not super familiar with it uh, other than a, a pretty fun bowl game <laughs> which i remember oh uh, yes
1: many of us of a certain age remember that one very fondly
0: uh and, and also being a, a little mad at colorado because of uh, those damn bcs computers um oh yeah yeah. Uh, what do we have to look forward to uh, in your article on Saturday, Tristan?
1: Well, a lot of Oregon fans of a certain age, I'm certainly covering that, that 2002 Fiesta Bowl. That's going to figure very prominently. That That's a really interesting study because that is, for those who either weren't around or don't remember, in the, in the lead up to the, during the 2001 season, the front runner to face what turned out to be an all-time Miami team was, oh, yeah. was Nebraska. Yeah, And Nebraska, again, for those who have only been following college football for the last 10 to 20 years, Nebraska, those that white helmet with the red end used to be absolutely terrifying if you had to go up against that. If you remember some of those teams in the 90s, specifically the 95 team, it looked like they had just come down from a different league. They were... Shh, throwing guys all over the field
0: i i I stole my charting system i like i learned pretty much everything i know about college football from reading tom osborne's books and i stole him my charting system and and like my you know what constitutes a successful play and like what you know how you grade players from from tom osborne like it's all like those 90s nebraska teams like that like that's me that's my everything that i do is just tom osborne yeah Right. I
1: mean, it was an all time coach and an all time program, and they were one of the first programs to really heavily emphasize strength and conditioning outside of, you know, standard running around on the field practice. It's
0: hilarious to read about what outside of nebraska constituted strength and conditioning or their like stupid beliefs about like don't you shouldn't work out or lift weights because then you'll get muscle bound and you won't be able to move around effectively and the ideal athlete is like 190 pounds <laughs> yeah, it, it just sounds medieval from the modern <laughs> so sports science understanding yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's
1: just absolutely ridiculous so this is the reputation that Nebraska still has in 2001 when they're facing a Colorado team that also only has one loss. Uh, put an asterisk next to that. I uh, think yeah. I may need to double check that one. They might have had two losses by this point, but they play in Boulder late in the season and Colorado absolutely bullies them. It's like for people who had seen some of those mid-90s Tom Osborne teams, it looked like the programs had switched uniforms. Colorado runs it right down their throat, runs it all over them. And the championship at the time was the BCS, which used a lot of arbitrary formulas that no one was willing to reveal. And a hot tip, if you learn nothing else from this podcast today, listener, any sort of mathematical methodology that has not been peer reviewed is worthless. Don't take it seriously. All right. So Mm -hmm. public service over. So it turns out that Nebraska, because of the formulas and the computers and the AP poll and the way it works out, they still go get to face that all time Miami team and get humiliated as probably any team other team would have, if we're being honest with ourselves Mm -hmm. to coin a phrase. Uh, And Colorado goes to the Fiesta bowl against a one loss Oregon team. And Colorado is quite rightfully saying, look, if the formula puts Nebraska in that game, we didn't just beat Nebraska. We out-Nebraska'd Nebraska. Put up a- us up against Miami, and we'll show you what we can do. We don't, we don't want to have to play this Oregon game. And now we actually get to go out into a little history that I actually remember when I was growing up. There was bad blood between Colorado and Oregon at this point. And it all starts with a fellow by the name of Rick Neuheisel. So in 1995, this is the year after Kenny Wheaton uh, opened the Matrix and lit our darkest hour against that Northern school. It's still a pretty good team. It's a veteran team. Mike Bellotti's first year. They come within a heartbreaking loss against Stanford from probably repeating his Pac-10 champs. But they go to the Cotton Bowl. Big deal back then. And they go up against a Colorado team. And Oregon comes out in its first two drives and they score field goals and Colorado's not on the board. And so, you know, young Tristan is saying, oh, gosh, maybe we can keep this close for a while and maybe they won't pull away like Penn State did last year. Mm -hmm. And Colorado rolls off 36 consecutive points to end the game. And again, this is the mid 90s. You know, we haven't had the offensive quarterback revolution yet pulling off 36 points. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a blowout. And that's an important game for a number of reasons. After that game, Mike Bellotti meets with the athletic director and the athletic director, who at the time I believe was still Bill Moose, but I I made some notes, but I need to double check some of these things, says, Mike, what do we need in this program so that we don't have to have a day like this again? We can win games in the Pac-10, but what do we need to compete with the biggest big boys out there? And one of the first things Mike Bellotti says is we need an indoor practice facility, And then he lists some other things. So this was that game was in many ways the genesis of Oregon being at the head of the arms race. But the interesting thing also is that there was a fake punt in the second half called by then Colorado coach Rick Neuheisel well after the game was decided. And Oregon fans are understandably not happy about this. (laughs) No. And. They get a, chi- a shot at redemption in 1998 in the Aloha Bowl, played in Aloha Stadium in the postseason. And Oregon is heavily favored going into that game because it's Keeley Smith's senior year. This is seen as Oregon's, you know, stepping out onto the national stage. They're going to have a first-round draft pick at quarterback. They should really rock this Colorado team. Oregon was eight and four that year. I think Colorado only had six wins at that point. Uh, Again, it doesn't go well with the proviso yeah. that really a lot of the scariness of that Oregon team wasn't just Akili Smith; it was also a running back by the name of Ruben Drones. Who I mean, Nick drones, Saban? Man. Nick Saban probably still wakes up screaming from what yeah. Ruben Drones did to his Michigan State team in Otson Stadium at the start of that year. By the postseason, he was hurt, and this was an Oregon team that could no longer sit on a lead. And if Akili Smith wasn't hitting the high percentage balls or missed killed a few drives on a couple of incompletions, they could fall behind early and they did. So Rick Neuheisel gets them again. They're denied their revenge. So this is the background for the 2001 game. Colorado says we should be the ones to take on Miami. We don't want to play Oregon in the Fiesta Bowl. And most of the pundits are saying, boy, this is an undersized Oregon defense. I don't know Colorado may may bully them. I, I don't know if it's <laughs> going to be a great game.
0: I mean, uh, Rick Neuheisel had moved on at this point. It was, it was he scary, was now like, at that
1: northern school that shall yeah, right. never be capitalized, and the hate yeah. flowed. If, even more.
0: by the way, if anybody's curious about why the Pac-12 imploded, you got to remember a fully a quarter of all Pac-12 schools willingly chose to employ Rick Neuheisel. Like,
1: and this is. That that's a big reason because as anyone who dives into what actually happened at uh, lowercase Washington, Washington, Owen, twelve.
0: Yeah, that joke uh, doesn't work on a podcast, dude.
1: Yeah, shoot. I I started down that road and I couldn't slide <laughs> off it. Anyway, and anyone who wants to look into you know why it's a bad idea to employ Rick Neuheisel, j- just look at what happened to him up in Seattle. You don't even mm-hmm. have to look at what happened to him at Colorado or or at UCLA just look at the the mess he left behind in Seattle and you'll see how he contributed to the long-term demise of the conference.
0: Not only that they couldn't even fire him, like fired him for gambling and then he sued them and won for wrongful termination. Like they, they couldn't even fire him properly. Like, yeah. Okay.
1: So, so this is the situation we're in, where Rick Neuheisel is now uh, is now in Seattle, and we haven't started the 12 game streak yet. In fact, I think in '99 he actually got got the first laugh, but then the 2000 team beat him, and they didn't play in yeah. 2001, which is a shame. Uh, but this it turned out this Fiesta Bowl was Nick Aliotti, the long term Oregon defensive coordinator. This was his magnum opus. Oh, this yeah. was his defense really shining because. They shut down that Colorado run game. That was a team that was built around running it down your throats, and they just couldn't do it consistently. And you had explosive plays. Uh, Joey Harrington throws four touchdowns, including this rainbow bomb to Sammy Parker very early in the game. You also get the the infamous Maurice Morris, Oregon's running back, Mm -hmm. sits on a Colorado defender, so he's not down, so he gets up and keeps going. And that was the final revenge against Colorado. Honestly, since joining the Pac-12, there hasn't been a lot of drama. Colorado beat Oregon once. It was the 2016 season. Yeah. And that was that was sort of a game where people started looking at each other and saying, is Mark Helfrich as good as we
0: thought yeah. he was? Yeah. I don't know anymore. I mean, that was just a bad season for Oregon. Although that was the game in which they wore the duck uniforms. So, like, yeah, yeah.
1: Which honestly, I I still don't think looked that bad. But after after that game, you can't no,
0: I loved him. I, I was I was like that was the best part of the game.
1: Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, that was the best part of the game. Yes, and that was also I don't think was that was a... the last gasp for Dakota Prukop. I think he got no. Those that, that was
0: Justin Herbert's debut.
1: Was that Herbert's debut against that
0: Colorado? Was... I thought they that they broke Herbert's him
1: out debut. against against uh, against Washington.
0: Uh, that was his starting debut. But he... ah, okay. He went into the game against Colorado.
1: See, I've tried to wipe most of the twenty sixteen season from my mm. memory for, for obvious reasons. I
0: charted it, brother.
1: Oh yeah, I remember. I was still reading.
0: So we're going to dive
1: into a lot of into a lot of that drama. So there there has been teeth to this rivalry before. Unfortunately, it's probably ending. Uh, I was actually preseason looking to get tickets to this game, not just because of the primetime factor, but because I had been living in Hawaii all those years. I had never seen Oregon play Colorado live. And by the time I decided uh, what games I wanted to go to, this game was already sold out. Mm-hmm. This was before the 3-0 and start. People had already sold out because they wanted... They wanted to see Dion at Autzen Stadium. So I'll be watching this one from home. But you'll have a chance to get into that a lot later. And if you want to hear about Dion Sanders, Colorado, read literally every national sports writer in the business right now. I mean,
0: you you can – yeah. Yeah, you, you can certainly uh, read articles that talk about him. It's kind of difficult to find articles that, that discuss the team in any you know <laughs> any meaningful like, sense. Yeah, no, I was I'm fairly certain I'm still the only person who's written like a, an actual meaningful schematic discussion. You know, a roster like depth inclusive uh, about that team um it's sort of like it's it's one of these like sort of traps where it's you know it's like the fame trap like i i, I don't blame sanders for this at all like but but you know I, he's doing what he needs to do but like uh but it's like there's so much heat you know involved that it's like it, it, you're almost insane to do anything except cozy up to the heat uh and yeah except you know, and so it takes somebody who's just completely bonkers to to ignore it um, and to, to write about like the boring, you know, or, or comparatively anyway, boring, like schematic stuff that actually determines the outcomes of f- football games. You know, good, good thing that you got somebody, you know, crazy on staff. Right. Uh,
1: <laughs> exactly. That, that's what addicted to quacks for. We we are we are the pan, not the flash. We are the substance. Well, we're kind of stylish. Some of
0: us. Well, Tristan, uh, if you are having difficulty uh, getting a ticket uh to the game, you uh good you know, just just wait till halftime. You might be able to walk into the stadium. <laughs> um I'll
1: just hang around outside. Someone will hand me one. That's a 19
0: point spread. Uh all right. I think that'll do it for us this week. Um, you got any parting words of wisdom for us, Tristan?
1: i Yes, actually, I do in in this particular case. For those of you who haven't read the Q&A, the last question I asked Jeremy was what people can do to help if you feel a connection to Maui and you want to help make a difference. And he provided a wonderful link. And so for anyone who feels any connection to Hawaii or Maui specifically who wants to do something small, there are some great organizations you can donate to. And you know what? Maybe you don't feel a strong connection to Hawaii or Maui, but wildfire is everywhere. There are other sorts of there are all sorts of great causes out there. So, you know, be inspired. Give give a little something to, to one of those that really rings true to you.
0: Uh, hey, those are great words. Uh, you know, it, the... It, it, it was it was awful seeing uh, you know all the all, all the damage and, and the heartbreak uh you know from, from the fires in hawaii uh, you know it it was you know especially tragic because i was doing you know watching all that film in hawaii and it was just like inescapable you know whenever i would turn on that film and uh, you know i was moved to 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 donate you know what i could as well uh it was you know it's one of the things that feels so bizarre because they're surrounded by water and they weren't getting any rain um you know we have a sign off on this podcast uh you, you know about, about it never raining it's like it was crazy because it was all you were wishing for you know for that to yeah. stuff to go away um you know it was, it was you know so heartrending. um I, i'm i'm uh, and during the game against Oregon, you know they 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 cut to you know, you know scenes of, of some of the, the Hawaii players who are doing what they can to organize supplies. You know, and, and I hope that Oregon uh, fans you know do do their part as well. Uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And it never rains on this podcast.